Would you pray with me? Calm us now, O Lord, into a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our strict scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, you Israelites, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob The God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by faith in his name, His name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series, Living in Light of Pentecost. As those who have been encountered by the risen Savior and received the gift of his Holy Spirit that was given at Pentecost, there are many qualities and activities that should identify the followers of Jesus. And one of the most fundamental things that should be evident in our lives is mission. 
Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples in Jerusalem after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. And immediately the church began growing by leaps and bounds. New member classes were bursting at the seams. And this new community of faith devoted themselves to worshiping and praying and studying, to growing as disciples of Jesus. But they also committed themselves to their new family, caring for one another and eating together with glad and generous hearts. In fact, they were so full of joy and generosity that whenever there was anyone among them who was in need, they would sell some of their own possessions to help provide for that person. It was incredible. A beautiful snapshot of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. But immediately after painting us this picture of the life inside the early church, the author Luke then tells us about the church's encounter with the world around it. After all, worship and discipleship should always lead us out into the world, into mission. And a healthy church that is committed to following Jesus and to living out his gospel will always be a church that is reaching out into its community in Jesus' name. Well, one day, as Peter and John were on their way to the temple to worship, they passed through an entryway known as the Beautiful Gate, which was apparently made of Corinthian bronze and was of exquisite craftsmanship. And as they're passing through, they walk past a lame beggar who was lying there beside the gate. That's such an interesting contrast, isn't it? The broken, lame, suffering man lying there beneath the beautiful, strong, well-crafted gate. Heck, it's practically a metaphor for life in Sewickley, isn't it? For beneath all the nice clothes and the beautiful houses, beneath the perfect, well-crafted exteriors we work so hard to put on, beneath all the success and the trappings we collect with it, there lies a lot of brokenness and hurt and despair and loneliness and heartache and grief. I wonder if anyone watching this morning knows anything about that. Well, as Peter and John passed by this man beneath the gate, the man cries out to them, begging for alms. And you know, I used to live in New York City. 
And as everyone there knows, the trick to getting past a beggar is to never make eye contact. You just keep your head down and keep moving as if they're not really there. It's so easy to do that, isn't it? Just to walk right past suffering or impoverished people or to look right past incidents of, of racism or injustice and pretend we don't really notice. After all, if we don't see it, we don't have to get involved, right? And most of us do a pretty good job of distracting ourselves from the, the poverty and injustice and inequity around us with all of our beautiful gates. But according to the text, rather than keeping their heads down and walking right past this man, Peter and John stopped and they looked intently at the man. And they said, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them. And immediately, a relationship had begun. They were looking each other in the eye, acknowledging one another as human beings. You know, we can all debate the value of, of, and, and the effectiveness of giving money to beggars and other people in need. But one thing we cannot debate is the importance of giving people dignity by looking them in the eye and acknowledging them as children of God made in his image, even if we have nothing else to give. For one of the most devastating aspects of poverty and racism is the way it dehumanizes people. It destroys their dignity and self-worth. This is precisely why those first Christians were so quick to do whatever they could to help out a brother or sister in need. After all, Jesus had died for this person and claimed them as his own, inviting them to be a part of his community and family and to participate in his mission. And that gave every one of them immeasurable worth. And none of them wanted any of their new family members to forget it. And now Peter and John had extended this loving, humanizing community to this lame beggar. But Peter and John didn't do what the man expected them to do. Instead, Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And Peter reached down and took hold of this man who was lying in a sea of suffering and poverty and brokenness. And he raised him up by the right hand. Such a wonderful image, isn't it? Actually, it reminds me the time Peter himself was sinking in the Sea of Galilee and he cried out to Jesus, begging Jesus to save him. And the Savior reached down and took hold of Peter by the hand and raised him up to new life. And now Peter becomes the very instrument through which Jesus does the same thing for this man. And then this man jumped up and he 
he accompanied them into worship. Which is the only appropriate thing to do in response to the grace of God. And the text tells us the man just kept leaping and and praising God, which I just have to say must have been incredibly distracting for the preacher. But I mean, who could blame the guy? He'd been lame since the day he was born and now he could leap. And when your heart is bursting with gratitude for the grace that you have received, you can't help but want to praise and glorify God in worship. But as a crowd gathered around, astonished at what they were seeing, Peter makes it very clear that it was not by his power or his piety that this formerly lame man was now walking and leaping. Rather, it was by the power of the name of Jesus, the author of life whom they had killed, but whom God had raised from the dead, And it was by faith in his name that this man had been healed. And then Peter challenged the whole crowd, urging them to repent, to turn back to God and believe in Jesus. And 5,000 people joined the new community of faith. Now, notice the pattern here. The believers devoted themselves to worship and fellowship with one another. That then led them out into the world where they encountered the brokenness of our world around them. And when they reached out the hand of fellowship, they brought healing to a man in need by the power of Jesus' name. The story begins with worship and it leads to mission which extends the community of faith to another person. And then in grateful response to the gift of grace that they had received, they all go back and worship and praise God together, which leads to yet another opportunity for mission as Peter then proclaims the good news about Jesus and his resurrection to the astonished crowd. Again, worship should always lead us out into mission, which in turn should lead us back into worship as we celebrate what God has done among us. But sometimes we have tended to view worship as a way to lure people into the church so that then we can make Christians out of them. And so worship often devolves into an orgy of entertainment and self-help. But worship is not a means to an end. It is the end. Our highest calling in life is to praise and glorify God from whom all blessings flow. The reason we go out into worship is so that more people might come to know Jesus, become a part of his family, and live a life of worship. But you cannot participate in the mission of Jesus Christ without being a part of the spirit-filled community of worship that he has called together. Because you cannot give to others what you yourself have not received. 
You see, our calling as Christians is not just to be good people who go out and do a few good deeds now and then. You don't need Jesus to do that or the Holy Spirit. You don't even need to call yourself a Christian to do that. But we who have been claimed by Jesus Christ are called to live our whole lives immersed in the power of his spirit through worship and prayer, through discipleship and fellowship with the body of Christ. And when we are faithfully doing that, Jesus will lead us to places and open our eyes to things that we may never have noticed before. Just as he did with John and Peter when he opened their eyes to this beggar underneath the gate, whom they may have passed by dozens of times and never even noticed. This is precisely why we're doing this 21-day race challenge, so that our eyes might be opened, so that we all might become more vigilant and aware of what's going on around us and responsive to the nudgings of the Holy Spirit. And when our lives are plugged in to the power supply of the Spirit, then Jesus will work through us just as he worked through Peter. Remember, far more than anything Jesus wants you to do for him is what he wants to do through you. But you will never discover what that is until you submit your whole life to his power and authority by devoting yourself to the life and worship of the church. For when you are living in relationship with Jesus and his body, then he will lead you into relationships with other people outside the church who are in desperate need of his healing grace. Now that that might be a beggar on the streets. Or it might be a, a person of color who's struggling to get by in white society. It might be somebody you work with or a person who lives in your neighborhood or even someone in your own family. There are people all around us all the time whose lives are feeling completely lame because of prejudice or poverty or lack of opportunity or suffering or loneliness or addiction or grief. People whose lives feel lame because of a a relationship that has grown cold or a job that's just sucking the life out of them or, or a body that's no longer working or a life that no longer seems to have any purpose. And their spirits are crying out, begging for relief. And it's so tempting for us just to keep our heads down and walk right by as if we don't see them because we think we cannot fix them. But be very clear. It is not our job to fix anyone. Jesus alone is the great physician. And only he has the power to heal them. Only he can raise them up and give them new life. Our mission is to look people compassionately in the eye 
and speak the name of Jesus into their lives, bearing witness to his healing presence and being open to the ways he might want to work through us. For if the risen Savior is present by the power of his spirit, then who knows what might happen? Anything is possible. He might even choose to use our hands as his instrument to raise someone else up to new life. But the only way this can happen is if we ourselves have been raised up by the hand of Jesus in our own lives. For let's be honest, we're all beggars here, aren't we? Starving for the grace of God, having spent our lives chasing after things that can never satisfy us, constructing beautiful gates that cannot give us life. And it is only in the name of Jesus that any of us are able to get on our feet and leave our old lame lives behind to receive the new life that Jesus was dying to give us. And it's only by the power of his spirit that we're able to participate in his mission and do what he is calling us to do. You see, without his spirit living in us, we will never be able to truly love one another and forgive one another. Without his spirit opening our eyes, we will never be able to see what it is he's trying to show us, especially the things that are uncomfortable for us to look at. Without his spirit guiding us and strengthening us, we will never have the courage to risk our own privilege and security by living counterculturally as citizens of his kingdom rather than the false kingdoms of this world. And without the support and the encouragement of the spirit-filled community of worship, we will never be able to stay on the path of discipleship and become instruments of healing and grace in the Savior's hands. So you see, you don't really have to look too far to find out what your mission in life is. Just devote yourself to a life of worship and discipleship and fellowship with the body of Christ and then be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit who will open your eyes to what Jesus is calling you to do. It might be something you've passed by a hundred times and never noticed before. It might be something he wants to do in your own family or in the church. It might be something he wants you to do in our community or, or in the city. I don't know what it might be. But mission always grows out of worship. So if you stay immersed in the spirit through a life of worship, then Jesus will reveal it to you and then do it through you. The truth is you and I have received such an incredible gift because we have been raised up by the right hand of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who has claimed us as his own 
and brought us into his family of grace. And now he is sending us out into this world in the power of his name so that we might raise up other people by extending the hand of fellowship and hospitality, the hand of compassion and mercy, the hand of understanding and respect, the hand of service and generosity. For when your heart is bursting with gratitude for the grace that you have received, you just can't help but want to pass it on. You might even do a little leaping along the way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.